This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, I'm BJ Novak, and I feel excited but cautious about being Conan O'Brien's friend. You should be cautious. Yeah. You and I have been circling each other like panthers. Oh, you were circling me too? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, makes I knew me that you feel were so much better. <laughs> oh, man. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens. Hey there, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast. I think an enjoyable exercise for us. I know that people listen to this and I guess it's thought of as a product of some kind, but I think of this as a fun opportunity to sit and explore the mysteries of the mind. What do you think, Gorley? Yeah, I guess there is a certain amount of, I wouldn't call it introspection, but sibling interaction between the three of us. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about the podcast and they were saying, oh yeah, you, you really uh, go at it with, with Gourley. And yeah. I said, well, I guess there's some passive aggression there. And he mm -hmm. said, well, I'm picking up on the aggression, but not, no passivity. No, no, no. <laughs> I could do with a little passivity. I'll try. I'll try yeah. and work some of that in. Yeah. But uh, no, it's nice. I do. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Are you excited when you come into work? And you're going to do this, or are you just sort of neutral, or are you actively depressed? <laughs> Full disclosure. Mm -hmm. In the early days, I was yeah. nervous. Oh, you were nervous? Of course I was. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Was... Sonam of Sessian? Nice. I see what you're doing. No. The old, doing the old switcheroo. I'd no. be nervous, too. Will she be cogent? 
<laughs> She's not here. We if can you talk have, about If her. you have rum and gummies for breakfast. <laughs> rummies? <what if> you, <laughs> rum, they're called rummies, yeah. No, oh, it's funny because I, I, I'm always in a real good mood when we come in to do this. Me too. I'm, I'm happy to do it. It doesn't feel like work. And when people tell me they enjoy the podcast, I'm, I'm always kind of delighted because I think, that's nice that you like it because it's really fun to do. It's gravy. It's really, it's gravy. Yeah. It is gravy. Because at first I didn't really know how to... Uh, you, you and Sona had a rapport. Mm-hmm. I was a little afraid because I didn't know how to kind of trade in, in that yeah, way. Yeah, because you were an interloper. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, we, ha- we were sort of established yeah. and really uh, riffed well with each other and it was organic. You, you know, were forced into the situation uh, in a way that was just wrong. Yeah. And you know I think I mean? once I found my voice on how to really stick it to the man, yes, that's when I really started to feel like there's a uh, three-way energy going on that I, now I really enjoy coming here. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was, you know, saying earlier that, uh, you know, joking that you were forced upon us. You were not. We're delighted to have you because you're an extraordinary voice in the podcast community, which I didn't even know. Well, I don't but know every that. time we have people come on the show, they're like, well, I know Gorley from, and then they start listing all these, you know, mm. Fez Weekly and the, mm. you know, the Magoo Report mm. and uh, the Jub Jub Dower with Winky and Doo They start mm. listing all these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Simon McGee takes it at home. Uh, no. You know, uh, incredible list of shows that I didn't even know about. The mm. Cuckoo Hour mm. with Gorley. Girls, girls, okay. and goo goo. Just, just for the record, the Fez one is bi-weekly. Okay, okay. bi-weekly. All right. But anyway, you're very well known in that world, a subterranean strange world. Yeah, uh, if that. Oh, please. Uh, and, please. and I'm not. I'm you only, are. No. You are. People no. know you and they go like, oh my God, it's Gorley. And I go like, okay, you know, really? And then they start listing again all the podcasts that uh, that that you are a part of, you know, I got a mining hat. Come with me, um, with Matt Gorley, uh, Gorley's Wall of Shame. Uh, These are sounding better as you keep. Hamana Hamana and Doo Doo with Gorley and the Gub Gub <laughs> Report. Some of my daughter's nicknames. Uh, yeah, but anyway, and then they go on and on and on about all the wonderful shows that they've heard you do and. I didn't realize how many you've done and how your different animal voices. And what? There's one where you talk about, you know, all kinds of stuff that happened in Roman history. Oh, you wish. I do wish, actually. <laughs> I'd listen to that. I like a good history podcast. But anyway, it's it's very nice. And I then made it my works bones out. in podcasting. What can I say? I made my bones it's in podcasting. It's the saddest sentence ever uttered. I made my bones in podcasting. <laughs> I got in in 2011. <laughs> oh, 2005, friend. I cut this, my teeth in podcasting when you were barely shaving height. This is, reminds me, because uh, this reminds me of housing in Los Angeles, because I grew up uh, in the Boston area. And houses are old. Yeah. And so, you know, the house I grew up in was built in 1900. And that's just standard. Wow. You know, it's, that's, that's pretty standard for that area of, you know, right outside Boston. Uh, and then there are houses from the 1800s. There are houses from the, you know, 1700s around Boston. Yeah. Some from the 1600s. Full of witches. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Uh, really, and, and still, uh, you know, um, populating the whole area. So I live in Los Angeles and you buy a house here. I remembered we had some problem with our house. There was like a leak, a pipe was broken or something from a root. And a guy came and he was looking, he dug down and he was looking at it and he shook his head. And I said, what's the problem? And he went, well, you know, the, the 
pipe broke uh, that goes into the house. And, you know, so that's, that's got to be, we got to get in there and put a new piece of pipe because, see, this tree root broke it. And I went, huh. And he said, you see this much? And he went, well, we see it from houses like this from the mid 2005, 2006s. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And he was kind of acting like, you know, when you get a house that was made before Obama's first term, <laughs> you run into problems like this. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah. They act like, well, you got one of these, you, <laughs> you got one of these houses from, you know, b from the third season of Gossip Girl. <laughs> you got a 2006. Wow. We don't see many of these anymore. People out here buy a house that was built in 2011 and tear it down uh, yeah. and build a new house because they're like, oh my God, you should have seen it when we got it. Don't get it me started. In... It's a shame. It's it a is shame. too It is too bad. I know yeah. you live in uh, a magical home, a gingerbread home. No. You do. It looks like a gingerbread home. It's lovely. It's, no. it's lovely. And parts of it are made of gingerbread, I know. No. Part, yeah. No. Marzipan. Well, good, good improv skills again. Graham no. cracker. No. Well, I, that's your improv? No. No. This is not improv. No. This is you berating me. No. And I, I'm forced to defend myself. Hey, it's the improv team of Conan and Gorley. <laughs> and let's get started. Conan takes the stage. Hey, everybody. And, uh, oh, here's my friend here. We, no, I sure love friends. working in this candy factory. No. <laughs> Gorley, are you, you okay? Wish, you wish you No. Like, all that stuff I was saying about excited to come in here, it's gone. Gorley, we sure have a difficult boss here. Isn't he funny? Isn't it weird that we have a difficult boss who's half dragon, half ape? No. What, am I also 80? No. Well, that's how you say no. You Did you hear yourself saying no? I need no. Sona here. This is this is why we need Sona to couldn't be here because Sona's on a book tour. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you hire an assistant that refuses to do her job. She writes a book about it. <laughs> it's a big hit and she goes on tour. <laughs> Welcome to America. Oh, man. This is fantastic. I can't believe I got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. You are a great improviser. I'm sure you are. <sighs> All right. Here I am with my comedy partner, Matt Gorley. Give us a suggestion. No. <laughs> hey, your dad came to see the podcast. <laughs> That's his suggestion. No. I learned it all from him. No. All right. Well, we got to get going. Let's. Uh, my guest today is a very talented writer and comedian who played Ryan Howard on The Office. He's now making his feature directorial debut with the new film Vengeance which he also wrote and starred in. Very talented guy. I'm excited he's here with us today. B.J. Novak, welcome. You and I have been eyeing each other warily in show business for years and years, each uh, ready to pounce and attack the other. And yeah. I feel like finally we're here. Yeah, I would get five minutes on your show every few years. So I, <laughs> I had time to prepare. I guess you did too, though. Yeah, I would always think, damn it, he's not here long enough. He's doing a stand-up set on my show. Um, I can't really take him down now. I don't have enough time. Yeah. And sometimes I would try to talk to you either just before your set or afterwards on the set of the old Conan talk show. And there was never enough time. I'd tell you, Sona, like today's the day I get BJ Novick and yeah. take him down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then you never did. Yeah. Everyone's never, trying to take me down. A lot of build up. Yeah. And nothing ever happened. Oh and God. the internet, people. podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I, they often come at me at the beginning of the podcast. I, I, it's quite a, a phenomenon for me. Well, well, I am uh, very, very happy that you are here. I, uh, you have no reason to feel cautious about being my friend because uh, I think you're fantastic, highly talented, 
Uh, and we have so much to talk about. So I'm I'm glad, very glad you're here. Now I will I will attack you at some point. Yeah, in the I'm podcast, ready. But it, well, just re- I want you to relax and start to think this is going well. Of course, you want me to relax. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> given I your given your strategy. Yeah. Um, no, we. Uh, so you just let your guard down. Uh, did uh, I? No, no, no. That's your advice to me. Yeah, let your guard down, and just relax and bear your throat. And Great. then uh, <laughs> bear your throat. Yeah, it just means it just means show someone your carotid artery. Oh, okay, okay. Just, just put your throat up, and then I will attack. Uh, I <laughs> no, we do have something to discuss right off top of the bat, which is we come from neighboring towns, towns that are often thought of as rivals. I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts, and you are from Newton. Yeah. Now I don't know. Maybe Newton doesn't feel this way about Brookline, but when I was a kid, we were sort of told that Newton was our rival. And when you guys would play us in football, we were supposed to get all worked up about it. Like, Newton, what does Newton know? I never got into it. It was almost like they were pushing it too hard, trying to instruct me to be, have an attitude about Newton. But when I was on the track team, that's mm-hmm. right. You don't just got get a body like mine. <laughs> when I was on the track team, uh, and um, I, I joined the track team because I was speedy and fast. And I thought, this is great. I'm gonna be a sprinter. And the first day they told me, you've got the legs of a distance man. You're in the two mile. And I was miserable. But I remember going over to Newton North Mm -hmm. to run track at uh, your fancy new track facility and being kind of instructed, now we're going to Newton North. Yeah. Be careful, because these guys hate us just like we hate them. (laughs) So I was thinking, what? Where is Newton anyway? (laughs) I had no idea. Did you have a rivalry with us or no? Well, so there's also the, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Is it intercenine fighting? There's like- I think it's internecine, maybe? Yeah, there's the the splinter groups. Yeah. So we, I went to Newton South. So we were, our rival was Newton North first. I see. And then Brookline is sort of the bigger- Problem, Right. You know, it's very much like a national. Right. It's like yeah. if you're a Protestant, you hate a Catholic first, but then when there's time, you're like, those Lutherans. Yeah. <laughs> it all gets. You can say it. I can't. Trust me. Yeah. That, I just got myself canceled. <laughs> no, you Conan, didn't. Conan's Lutheran rant was way out of bounds. Lutherans are calling. I have to step down. Step down? Step oh. down. Even, a, step down even further, oh. BJ. <laughs> I thought you meant as a, from your religion, step down. I, I didn't thought, know you held oh, office. Oh, I thought you were saying step down. What are you up on? <laughs> we know how big this podcast network yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. We, re- we read yeah, the headlines. Yeah. yeah. As a hobo, I'm stepping down. <laughs> um, so you grow up in Newton, Mass. And we have some things in common, which we we come from these neighboring towns. I think of Newton as a weird town. I've come to think of it as very weird. Why is that? Because. It it seems you think of it as very normal, and then the people that come from it, um, Krasinski was in my high school class, Freak. Eli Roth, yeah, uh, who Freak. does, yeah, I mean, some ext- very nice guy, but does some extreme work, yeah, Louis C.K. Freak. from Newton, and there is a you think of yourself as normal, but not in Newton. There there's some right. weird legends about Newton that I can't get into on the show. Did Brookline think of itself? I thought of Brookline as very normal in a cool way because it's like it is a foot in the Boston yeah we're kind of almost we're almost we're like a part of Boston yeah we're on the Boston line from my house you can walk into Boston you can walk into Fenway yeah that was very cool I could walk to Fenway Park in about 20 minutes put Um, your uniform on and jump in (laughs) I 
no joke. I played infield for the Red Sox yep. in 1978 and 79, and no one cared. It was yeah. just a time when you could just you, back most then, players you don't hear about. Right. Yeah. Not everyone's Wade Boggs. That was a different time. There was a time in the late 70s when you could go to a Red Sox game, just spend like you know five dollars to get a bleacher seat and then at any point you could wander onto the field and play yep Ugh. and if you played pretty well you were eligible for the all-star game <laughs> this that was a, just a different, it was a different time. time yeah and we'll never get back to that i don't know i feel <laughs> baseball's you know always in, in shaky a shaky situation these days um yeah. i'm still a fan but uh so so you grew up and and we didn't really know each other and we you went, learned to drive in newton Yes, yeah. I, I went to- That's the first thing you told me the first time we met. The first time we met, and I knew that you were from Newton. You're obsessed with Newton. I <laughs> kind of am. You are. I'm you like, know, it's a pretty normal town, but you're like- Can I just say, I've always wanted to have another podcast in addition to Conor Bynes a Friend, which is Newton Talk, or just- <laughs> I think it was going to be a documentary it was gonna be It was going to be Talking Newton with Conan O'Brien, <laughs> and I keep pitching it to the podcast network, and they're not interested. Uh, they should, Newton is like 90,000 people. It's weirdly big. For a town that just feels like a very forgettable suburb in some ways. It's weird. Right. And Brookline is 800 people and just a little sleepy courthouse in the middle of town. <laughs> and they all play for the Sox. We all play for the Red Sox. We ride donkeys around. Uh, I just like getting misinformation out there. Uh, well, um, we went to the same college at different times because I'm uh, like 98 years old now. And you're a young whippersnapper. 75, yeah. But uh, we both attended that university, Harvard University. And you, but we studied different things. Okay. I studied comedy, talk shows, and podcasts. What did you study? <laughs> I should have done that looking around this room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I studied Newton and I froze up when you brought it up. Um, so yeah. No, I did. I tried following your footsteps. Everyone knew that you wrote for the Lampoon, which is why I wanted to do that. Right. And, um, and I did that. So that I did. And you did it because of Conan O'Brien. I, I did, actually. You said, like, wow, Conan You wrote. say that sarcastically, but I did. It was, it, it was a very well-known fact. I always only find out about that much later on. But I remember reading, and we can get back to me if you want. But <laughs> no, I, I, I don't said, think so. Okay, good, perfect. Our guest um, today is Conan O'Brien. I mean. And uh, BJ is uh, interviewing me. I also remember, you know, reading that you wanted your show to have no topical jokes in the monologue at first. Right, right. And so that feels to me very much your sense of humor. Yes. These evergreen, brilliant, offbeat concepts. And then you, again, get in a situation where you need like President Clinton tonight, like yeah, five yeah. minutes a night, but you were great at it. But my God, well, what, me, what pressure you must have been under. Tell us about that. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'm really excited. And then I'd like to talk about I my- I sound like a guy who's so avoiding. <laughs> like I have some huge secret. <laughs> I'm running. We're going, to get to your, we're going to get to your murder. Yeah, your murder it's spree. like a first date. I'm like, don't Google me. <laughs> well, I think it's, uh, we, we might be uh, simpatico this way, but um, topical humor, if there's a really great joke or really great take on it, obviously I, I like it, but it was not my wheelhouse and it wasn't the thing that brought me joy. I always liked it when we did mm -hmm. comedy sketches or I could do a remote that was just silly and wasn't talking about that day's news. And so... That's still the thing I like the most, mm -hmm. is just pure 100% silliness. I think that is a beautiful thing, is that uh, you're, you were able to, I mean, I've just transitioned abruptly into your work on The Office. I thought it was smooth. Thank you. I shouldn't have called attention to it because now it's <laughs> now everyone's yeah, like, going. yeah, I don't know. Well, everyone, I think it's well known that my former writing partner and really good friend, Greg Daniels. Uh, oh, you consider him a good friend? 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yes, he talks about you all the time, of course. For the purpose of this interview, I'm trying yes. to be funny too here. I'm trying to keep up. Um, but yes, we ag um, we agreed before the podcast that you would say <laughs> that I would say good friend and that you would act like it was true. Oh man, you're better at that we, kind of joke than I am. We um, have not we have not spoken in years. No, uh, what I love is my son, who has I think excellent comedy taste in that he doesn't like what I'm doing, but really loves great shows. I've walked into the room and he's walk, watching The Office and he's mouthing along. He knows it. He mm -hmm. has memorized The Office. Yeah. There, There is a music to it, or there must be, that people learn it um, by watching it again and again, the way you listen to a song, I guess. And yep. it has no laugh track right. and no music to it. So the dialogue, I think, becomes sort of the rhythm of it. But I learned all my comedy lessons from Greg Daniels being in that room and the the care he, I mean, he has these uh, sayings that maybe you have too, or mm -hmm. I know you guys came up together, maybe you developed them together, but one phrase was you don't eat your seed corn. Maybe he said that from The Simpsons. Like you can make a joke in which it's like a farming term right. that, that you don't sell out a character for a great joke in the moment because you're going to need that, that character later. The attention to the people, to the realism, he also, in terms of it being evergreen, one time someone mentioned a year and he said, and the show was not popular at this point. And he said, let's try to never mention the year yep. so that it doesn't jar people if they're ever watching it in syndication or we didn't even know about Netflix then, you know, I learned everything from him. You know, I, I, I can't believe that you never interned for me because I, I turned it down a lot. No, <laughs> I know how bad you guys wanted. Why didn't you want to work for free? <laughs> we need that intern. Why? No, but they say how, that he's so good. The at list interning. of people from the office. I know it's crazy. Who are from Massachusetts? I didn't know that was an option when the, they were talking about it on set. I felt so left out. I was like, why did my mom never tell me? <laughs> Your about mom this? had to tell I don't know. You. No, but it's like you know, like Chris, other kids go to the summer camp, and you're like, wait, I didn't know you could do that. But when I was a kid, like kids went to concerts. I'm like, how did you go? Go to a con like your mom drove you to the Worcester Centrum and waited in the car. Oh my god, like, the Worcester Centrum, yes. Yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah. These kids got to Nirvana when I was like in eighth grade. I was like, you can go. Um, and so yeah, I was like, no one told me you could intern at Conan. Yeah, I, and, and, and when you think about it, I think half the cast of The Office yes. interned Carell for me. Interned at The Office <laughs> at, at Conan. Damn it. He also Joke had to intern. Works. He also had to intern at The Office yes, when he, he first did. got. That's how low down he was. Um, he yeah, worked so his many, way up. So many, <laughs> all right, you can you fast. Can, you can play Michael, but you also have to intern for the yep. first year. You have to yeah, Dwight um, coffee. <laughs> so, so weird. And it worked against the character prep too. It was not the right dynamic. Yep. So, um, so, but you must have, I mean, I know you're friends with a lot of the people that interned uh, for us. Who, who was the list of people that interned and for Angela us? Angela Kinsey, Mindy Kaling. It's crazy. John Krasinski. Right. Um, uh, Ellie Kemper. Yep. Yeah. Who else? I mean, I, am I leaving I, anyone off? I think that's it. There yeah. Yeah, I think some are going to end up interning for us. Yeah, <laughs> still. Yeah, there's a long on road the podcast. Ahead. Uh, I think Krasinski, when he gets his comeuppance, will be here getting yep. me coffee again. Yep. Yeah, I loved it. The last time I saw Krasinski, I think he had a bodyguard, and I'm thinking, <laughs> you used to get me coffee, <laughs> and now there's someone here to protect you from me. That's funny. <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. I'm a very violent man. Yeah, yeah he's a lot of enemies. Um, <laughs> I've always heard that Mindy Kaling does this thing that uh, I want to ask you about, which is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, making I'll confirm up, any making, rumor about Making her. up lies that um, 
don't really exist for any reason, just making up a very random lie. Yeah. It, it, and it's kind of a way of pranking people, but it's something that's always fascinated yeah. me. Um, I love that as well. And I'm a big believer in that. But can you give me examples? Is it true, first of all, that yeah, she Yeah, well, do she, that? now and then. Uh, she hasn't done it in a while, I hope. But she told me she really needed money. Yeah. And I gave her $100,000. That's and then how she started, she's so rich. She started yeah. giggling. Yeah. <laughs> she told that to Warner Brothers. I'm like, all right, sure. Whatever you need. She once on the office told me that um, <laughs> there was a female director that um, had done an episode of one of my scripts. And I didn't especially like how the direction went. Not a huge deal. But Mindy said that she had used to date Greg. Yeah, and the director used the to date. The director used to date Greg. Mm -hmm. And um, also, we're at like 24. So I... They, everyone looked like a grown-up to me. <laughs> this woman was <laughs> sure. way, like 20 years older than Greg. But I was like, oh, okay, all right. And so then Greg was like, what'd you think of her as a director? And I was like, I, yeah, she was good. <laughs> and so we hired her back. But I should have said, like, I not my favorite director. And then later I told him, like, you used to date her, right? And he was like, what are you talking about? She's like, six, no. Um, how would I have, anyway. That's incredible, yeah. Well, okay, this is, when someone lies, and the lie doesn't have a point. Yes. And then they act like they gotcha. She to never me, acted like she got me. It was just a private joke, which is even more pure. I have way. to admire the, the comedian that doesn't need an audience, just her and God. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Comedian <laughs> doesn't have an audience. Uh, you've, got a, you've got a score. You've that feels a like class. a Fellini movie. Yeah. No, I just know that I've been around people sometimes who say... Uh, yeah, on my way in today, a pebble, you know, shot up from the road and cracked my windshield. I got to get it fixed. And I'll be like, huh, that's too bad. And they'll be like, no, it didn't. But <laughs> that's not. Fuck you. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, what? that's a pathological. Well, Sony, you've done that to me plenty of times, always with a pebble. I, I'm sorry, Emma. I love that pebble bit. And you fall for <laughs> it every single bit, time. I guess. You fall for it every single time. I mean, the key to it, the pro and con is that it's so mundane, <laughs> but there's also no payoff. And people think, they're, who would lie about such a thing? Right. Huge waste of time. Yeah. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus... They also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, beat. I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. <laughs> well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take Sorry. it. Just take it down. I notch. didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. Uh, so I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. Way. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
Corner Brian Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT, introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cam and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Your choice. Easily install the ADT Self Setup security system at your convenience. You don't need heavy duty tools. And if you do need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Self Setup from ADT grows, moves, and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security as the intelligence of Google, well, <laughs> you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google LLC. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid... We were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less Filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. You did stand-up first? Is that right? You started doing stand-up? Yes. I wrote for Bob Saget, my Mm -hmm. good friend. Uh, He was my good friend. I wrote for his show called Raising Dad. Mm -hmm. It was my first, and it was a multicam. And um, I started doing stand-up toward the end of that because I didn't really like that. And the people I did admire, like Bob Saget would drive up in a Mercedes with his sunglasses, crack a bunch of bad jokes in the writer's room. Everyone would kiss his ass and crack up. He was a very funny guy, but yeah. not in those moments. And uh, and then he'd zoom off. And I, I was like, well, that's that's the job I want. Right. <laughs> like, how do you get that? And Jonathan Katz had created the show and he was um, at home in Boston and he would like phone in once a week. And, um, and you know, a really revered figure, also a friend. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought, well, that's... That's what I want to do. And then the other writers in the room would talk about being in a bar in Milwaukee, you know, bombing. And to me, being from Newton, as we talked about, that was very glamorous and exciting mm-hmm. to me, bombing in a bar in Milwaukee, because it's such a sheltered 
environment. I hadn't been anywhere. That didn't sound like a complaint to me. So I started doing it as that show uh, started you know, ending. So you worked for Bob Saget mm -hmm. and you guys remained friends, right? Yeah. Friendly. Yeah. And he helped me out. He, he got me some stage time. I opened for him a lot. He got me on at the Laugh Factory. I opened for him in Vegas. Yeah. Much, n many nice things have been said about Bob as they should be because he was genuinely very, very sweet and supportive. He was an incredible person and a mm -hmm. funny person. His standup wasn't that funny in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was just funny. He, he, he was comedy. Mm -hmm. And at his memorial, it's the only time I ever was ambitious to be a good person. Right. I've always thought I'm ambitious in my career, ambitious to make great comedy. I'm a perfectionist about everything I write. And I try to be a good person too. And I feel bad if I think oh, I was kind of a jerk, but only as sort of an extra, oh, also be as good a person as you can. At his memorial, the way people talked about him and remember myself included, the way people talked about him and remembered him, and it was some of the greatest stand-ups in the world, as well as just friends and family, I got that fire in me that made me feel when I die, I want people to have felt that way about me. I want to have given that kind of love and feeling. Mm -hmm. And I, that's the level that he gave that I was jealous and fired up to be a good person person I with love it, in my life. I have felt that before at memorials. Uh, there are times where I'm at a memorial and person doesn't seem that great. And oh. I'm there and I'm thinking, I win, you know? Uh -huh. uh, first of all, this person, <laughs> I'm still alive. this person died and I'm still alive. Yeah. But I'm hearing about what they did and what kind of person they were. And I think, I got that beat. And I've made the mistake of telling that to the widow a couple of times. <laughs> oh, no. Well, there's been a lot of comedy deaths um, of that generation. And yeah. a lot of them... Um, are complicated people. Everyone's a complicated person. You're right. There have been a lot of people that have passed in the last year, almost to an eerie degree. Yeah, and they all were like in the same circle. Yeah. People who knew Jeff Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Comedian Jeff Ross. Uh, of course, as you know, I'm the Roastmaster General. Yes. Many people think he's behind because he moves up in the rankings every time mm -hmm. someone goes. Absolutely. And seems to profit from these deaths. <laughs> anyway, just putting that out there. I Yes. I, he might be killing our favorite comedians. <laughs> Jeff Ross, murderer. Okay, I don't think that's actionable. No. It's, it's, right? I think yeah, legally I'm in the clear. No. Yeah. I just accused him of murdering most yeah. of the other comedians that have died this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we're in good shape. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you did it knowing it was false and with the intention to harm him. To, yeah. to harm him and- uh, And I don't think that's to hurt defamation, but- I don't, listen, Unless I'm not a lawyer. That's exactly, I am not a okay. lawyer. It's either not defamation or exactly, or exactly yeah. Yeah. what defamation is. Yeah. yeah. Now, you had this period of time where you were working on the TV show Punked. Yes. And I'm fascinated- that was my this. first on-camera job, and that was just still my favorite job I've ever had. And why was it your favorite job? Because <laughs> I love pranks. I've always loved pranks. That's my version of, you know, Mindy lies. I actually do the work, right. not judging. Right, She can just but, say, oh, that person oh, since owns high school, Flemish armor, but I he doesn't. I love pranks. And here was a job where a professional team set up the prank for you. Mm-hmm. And you just knock the pins down. It was unbelievable. And Ashton Kutcher, you know, this was my, fr I was 23, 24. I had only been in the writer's room. I'd started doing stand-up a couple years ago. I suddenly got some heat as a stand-up. I killed my audition. And I'm, I'm here with Ashton Kutcher, who loomed so large. 
um, especially at that moment. Now he's sort of an icon that has graduated. We, he's been around forever, but he was just bursting. Yeah. Like cover of People magazine every week. So cool. And um, I was like this comedy writer still wearing the kind of pleated khakis that you wear when you grow up in Boston. And he was like in my earpiece. <laughs> I'm wearing those right now, you asshole. What to say to these pop stars that would freak them out. I mean, it was as someone who loved pranks, it was a dream come true. Now your job as a performer was to play the reality of the prank. Yeah. And it was great acting training because yes, you have to be convincing you cannot, and funny and you get one take. Yeah, and you cannot indicate fired. the joke, which right. is uh, everyone knows who's worked in comedy. Actually, they don't know it, but they should know it. Don't indicate the joke. It's, mm -hmm. It ruins it yes. when you're indicating And since I've directed comedy, a lot of people show up, great actors, great dramatic actors show up ready to do comedy. And they don't realize that by that philosophy that we both subscribe to. No, 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 play the drama. Get the comedy deep down, but you play that reality. If it, once, as soon as you play the comedy, it's not funny. Yeah. Well, I think it's um, what Steve Carell did so brilliantly was uh, yes. he's a brilliant actor. Yes. And he played every moment with complete honesty Yes, uh, as uh, Michael Scott. He could and sell, you could write him the most insane thing for a human being, that no human being grills his foot on a George Foreman grill because he <laughs> wants to wake up to the smell of bacon and then right. tells his office to treat him as a handicapped person. Right. But when he performs that, you buy it. Right. You see how a human being could do that. And he's not rubbing his hands before the scene to say, how do I make this funny? He is, I think he is deep down. He, I think he has a writer brain mm -hmm. that's coming up with the funny things to say. But then his actor heart is is you know playing the drama of this human being and this terrible situation in that character's mind. When you were doing these pranks on Punked, was there ever a moment where because you can't break? I mean, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to break in sketches, but people do. But but if you're if you're part of a prank and you're pretending to be a, someone who, you know, is a barista or someone yeah. who's working the counter at a restaurant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you've yeah. got to play that reality. Yeah. And you can't start giggling or the entire thing is ruined. Yeah. Was that ever a problem? Yeah, I've almost never. I'm actually, I think I'm a little too serious when I do comedy. I think that if you watch the office bloopers, I'm almost never breaking. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish I had brought myself to the level of being about to break a lot, because I do think a lot of great comedy comes at that teetering edge. But um, I didn't generally have a problem with that, but I did watch something where I saw my face just bite my cheek to not break. And there was one outrageous, I mean, some of, my mom hated punked. Um, <laughs> there was one outrageous one where um, Rachel Lee Cook was the actor, mm -hmm. and she so they always find like their vulnerability or their obsession. So she and Jonathan Tucker, who is a friend of mine now, was the the accomplice. So he brought her to a restaurant. And she volunteered with the elderly. And we got a stuntman to be the waiter, like a forgetful waiter that kept messing up her order. Mm -hmm. And I was an asshole manager mm -hmm. of the restaurant that was abusive to this elderly waiter and screamed at him for um, messing up the order and then eventually started throwing him against the wall because he's a stunt guy. And sure, I'm like, yeah. It's so violent. Yeah, watching that, I laugh now because I can't believe that we would do such a thing. <laughs> I, first of all, you just described my favorite day ever. I, it, it would be a joy 
for me. To beat the elderly? Yes. Well, to beat up people. It's so funny because. But to do these things and, and have to convince someone it's yes, real. Yes, it's like real. What you were saying, the acting training is this is amazing because you have to be funny um, enough to, you're improvising because yes. you're making up the stuff. You have to be completely convincing so the other person in the scene thinks this is the worst day of their life. Um, and it's a high wire act because you have one take. We, I, I'm not a, a natural prankster. I don't think that's uh, something that I was built for. I worry a lot that someone will get hurt yeah, or upset. Apparently, was not I, my problem. I just do not have that. But I understand because I grew up with brothers. I've always been someone who likes to roughhouse. To use a term probably no one uses anymore because it's just a cute way of saying physical abuse. But <laughs> I loved roughhousing. Still love roughhousing. And Whoa. so the idea of well, yeah. No, I, I will wrestle okay. you before this is over, and you'll be very uncomfortable. Rain Wilson always wanted to wrestle with me. Yeah, during the office, I understand that. No, I I look easy uh, to beat. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think someone hasn't wrestled in a while. Is like, why don't I start with you, but and when, then move on to Krasinski's yeah. bodyguard? <laughs> um, I want to compliment you because. One of my favorite attributes that people have is when they have an interesting career that has different phases and they try different things. And I think you are a uh, a bit of a shapeshifter, meaning I think you've uh, done terrific work as a stand-up and as a writer and as, a, as an actor. And uh, I know that you've written terrific books. And I just think you refuse to be pigeonholed, which I think is a great, great attribute. I would love to be pigeonholed, actually. I wish, and I envy the people that are very famous for doing one iconic thing amazingly. It's just so funny. The grass is always greener, I guess, but... I don't, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel I, scattered you know, oh, really? sometimes. I have. I I've come to think, oh, I am me, and that's cool. But for most of the time, I'm like, what is wrong with me that I keep needing to do these random ass things. Well, clearly I was wrong. There's something very wrong with you. Yeah. I think that's what we've come to. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, but I think it's very, I mean, I think- Like master you, something. Like you I, work so hard to learn something and yeah. then finally you can really do it. And I'm you're like, You're talking well, me out this. of admiring you. I yeah. admired you because uh, you're highly- well, I'm coming around. I'm coming around <laughs> to who I am. Having an interesting and varied career, I don't, I don't know what's better than that. Getting, and getting to- um, almost be like ambidextrous about what it is you're working on or what you're doing at any one point, you know? I mean, you show up in one of my, I have to say, one of my favorite movies of the last 15 years or decades. Smurfs is 2. Smurfs 2. <laughs> and the fact that you also went to Smurfs 2, <laughs> please tell me you weren't in Smurfs 2. I no, had it, one line in, in Smurfs 2. Yeah, it was edited out. I oh, know that. you saw it? Yeah. and no, I, I, You saw it for me. I saw it in the theater and then I had it edited out for every other show. <laughs> That's the kind of power I have in the business. Well, my muffins didn't do it for you. <laughs> no, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. When you showed up in Inglorious Bastards, I was so happy for you. I was happy as a fan, but I was just happy for you. That, I oh won my... a contest, yeah. No, no, you were yeah. terrific. Yeah. You were great. Um, yeah, no, I mean, as as a life experience, that is one of the things I, I, if I woke up tomorrow and I was like, this whole thing had been a dream, I'd be like, yeah, that was weird. How, how did I ever get to do something like that? To have a scene, these great scenes with, I mean, I, I think Hans Landa is one of the most compelling characters in a movie. Yeah, ever. That I, ever, because he's an absolutely terrible person who's charming. And he loves his job and the love is bursting through his performance. That's the secret weapon, I think. Yeah, Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa, I love 
And he enjoys the milk he drinks in yeah. the opening scene yeah. when he's in the French farmhouse and he drinks the milk. God, he loves that milk. And he really does love his job. And he's terrible. He is a Nazi who uh, is, is, I mean, really one of the most iconic, terrible people you can imagine in a film. And yet, boy, does he love the uh, strudel that they serve in the restaurant. Yeah. And you've got to wait for the whipped cream. And the fact that you have that, you and Brad Pitt have those scenes with him yeah. where he's interrogating you. It's so fan. I mean, I don't it even, was, I can't imagine what that must have been like. And being Tarantino alone. But yeah, I would be picked up in a van, you know, lived in Berlin and a van would pick up. I was first and then Christoph was second. And the two of us would be vanned for 45 minutes together to the set where Brad Pitt would be. And, you know, he would make, I don't know if I can still do the voice, but he would make these, um, you know, he would recommend book. He's a very erudite guy, mm -hmm. yeah. which is scary when you've seen the movie. It's like, have you read this book of short stories? <laughs> you, know, you would love it, BJ. You know, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because he, he was a wonderful guy, but we would... Um, and so that, I mean, that alone, that experience, then you get there and it's Brad Pitt in a white tuxedo. How's it going, guys? Like, it was just a dream, an absolute dream. Yeah, I, uh, and, and, I mean, I think I've watched that movie probably 600 times, uh, but uh, you have a two shot. It's the last shot of the movie, Yeah, which is great. I, yeah, I was at Universal Studios for the Halloween Horror Nights, which I go every year, I love mm -hmm. that thing. And they were playing sort of braggy, universal highlight reel of like iconic moments, and that was in it. That was in their reel of like great universal pictures moments. And still you're not satisfied with your career. I didn't say that. You, you son said of a that. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Um, As it were. I want to talk to you about this new dark comedy you've done, Vengeance, which you wrote and directed. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, I've never directed anything. I don't even know. I don't know what directing involves. I honestly don't. I would get obsessed with getting the jodhpurs, like the end of, and the, you know, the iconic director. Oh, who's those got, weird pants? Those weird pants and the I riding got, prop. And I would want a, bull, I would want a, uh, a, a 1920s bullhorn. I've got- Quiet, um, everybody, quiet. Now let's go. I've got some amazing advice about directing before I directed. And the best piece of advice was something that will both sort of reassure you and challenge you if you mm -hmm. ever wonder, could I direct? It was, um, which the answer is you can, but um, Al Ruddy, who produced The Godfather, yeah. a good friend of mine is his daughter. And uh, I told Al I was gonna direct and he said, you only need to know two things to direct, what you want and how to get it. Oh, snap. I mean, yeah. and that's 100% true. If you can, And then another director, Lee Winnell. That's I everything, by the way. It is everything. Yeah, that's not fair. It is everything. No, but think about it. It's you, everything. What you want and how to get it. Yes. Well, yeah. But, but okay. both of those are hard to know. You often don't know what you want. And there right. are directors who don't know what they want. And there are people in relationships who don't know what they want. It, it's actually harder to know what you want than how to get it. Now, plenty of people know what they want. They don't know how to get it. But I think people like you and I who are very logical people, often it's especially the first part is the harder part. So Vengeance, you must have been working on this for a while because you direct this, you star it in it. It looks hopelessly out of date. <laughs> <laughs> 
It looks like it was made in the 40s. Yeah, it's really a commentary on Obama's first term. (laughs) (laughs) How did this project come to be? Was this your concept? Yeah, I had this idea. The story is about a podcaster, an aspiring podcaster, which I find especially... That's really funny. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If only I could get a microphone. Yes, yes. He's a a journalist uh, and not an unsuccessful one, um, but he wants to be sort of a voice he wants and Issa Rae is this producer that he knows he really wants to get a show on her network he's you know has a shallow life uh, dating a bunch of people he's a guy who thinks he's cool and it's kind of a little sad and um, he gets a call in the middle of the night uh, from this voice with a deep Texan accent who says your girlfriend is dead Mm -hmm. and he's more surprised by girlfriend than dead (laughs) And he goes down to the funeral and the family apparently thought he was really close to them. And, um, and then the brother played by Boyd Holbrook wants, uh, feels they bonded a lot and wants him to help avenge her death. And that's when the dark comedy turns in a way darker because he thinks I'm going to make a podcast about why these people want revenge about what's the meaning of vengeance. And then eventually he gets caught up in that story. So it is sort of a, it's a bit of a fish out of water culture clash movie, but it's also, you know, kind of a Western, kind of a, a vengeance movie. So obviously we've talked about, we both come from these goofy towns in Massachusetts. By the way, I used to say I'm from Boston until I saw Wahlburgers. I've seen every episode of Wahlburgers. And I'm like, oh my God, I am not from Boston. Like if I ever ran into any, and Mark Wahlberg was like, oh, you're from Boston, what pot? And I'd be like, "Uh, well, uh, you know, the thing is, Mark, (laughs) I was like, this is the most exotic place I've ever seen. That's Boston. So I'm from Massachusetts. Yeah, exactly. I'm from Massachusetts as well. Um, Wahlburgers is, I have seen every, it is a fascinating show. Anyway. Is it still out there? No, Burgers? but you can find it. All right. Get, get, <laughs> it's like Nathan for hey, you. Listen, it's it's going to build. If you take one thing away from this episode, it's watch Wahlburgers. So the thing about Wahlburgers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But yes, Alma, the mom, thinks Donnie Wahlberg is like the biggest star in the world. And then Mark <laughs> is still trying to ride his coattails. Yeah, she And like, know. there's no convincing Alma. Like, and Mark has this huge chip on his shoulder. He's so competitive. He's the youngest of, I think, nine or 11. And he's always trying to best his brother. Still on the show, he sets up these whole episodes to show how he can kick his brother's ass in golf. And it's like, you're Mark Wahlberg. But he's just, he won't stop. Like, mm-hmm. the show doesn't know what it's really about. They think it's about a restaurant. <laughs> but it's about these unbelievable family dynamics and what powers it. A, a phenomenon like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> but yes, I'm it's always Newton. It's always about the hamburger I, I'm restaurant. Here to That's plug, the message in line. I'm here to plug a canceled A&E show is my point. Donnie's bigger for me. Yeah? Because I'm a big NKOTB fan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's where it's at. Mark is you know, never going to build up to that. Okay, so, yeah. so my yeah. parents, uh, you know, they've had the same house in Brookline that I, you know, basically they took me home as a baby and it's just the house that I've been in my whole life. My parents have been there and all my brothers and sisters and when New Kids on the Block was a huge phenomenon uh, in the 80s? Um, yeah. Late, late 80s. Late 80s. New um, Kids to us is like what Billy Joel is if you're from like Long Island. For yes, real. Yeah. Yeah, there's stories, there's legends. No, for real. So anyway, Donnie and I think two of them bought a house in Brookline, in this nice part of Brookline, uh, and they had this house... And they live there, and girls used to hang around outside the house to try and go see new kids on the block. Mm-hmm. And when I got my late night show, 93, they're still a big deal. Yeah. A year or two goes by or three. I was always kind of wondering, huh, they've got 
people hanging around outside their mm-hmm. house. Yeah. Does, when, when are people going to start hanging around my parents' oh, house? Oh, you thought that was going to happen. I thought it was going to happen. And then once, once, there were some, like... So you're hanging around outside to see there who were, comes by? There were, there were, some teen, <laughs> there were out two the teenagers hanging outside our house, and my parents told me, there's some people here that want to come <laughs> say hi to you? And I went, well, I guess, you know. And I went out, and they said, yeah, we were hanging outside the new kids on the block house for a long time, and they didn't come out. So we got really bored and came over here. <laughs> oh, no. You got their leftovers. <laughs> And they, they literally like, oh, we didn't even need you to come out. Well, I'm here. Do you want some yes. pictures? You want some pictures? No, we're good. Do That's you know it. how we could get into the new kid's house? I really don't, but I could take you guys out to lunch. No, we've eaten and we're lactose intolerant. Oh, do you want to come back later? No, we're good. Come in and invite them in. Ma, they don't want to come in. They want to hang around the new kids on the blockhouse. <laughs> in 99. In 99. Yeah. Um, oh, anyway, that's no. my story and uh, tells you where I'm coming from. <laughs> but uh, how do people see Vengeance? How do, in uh, theaters, July yeah, 29th. It's coming out. I just want to make sure we get the date because I don't have a date here, but I want to make sure people know that July 29th, they can go and see Vengeance. Yeah. I, I have to say, I think, I think you are to be commended. Oh, and because- you know, Ashton is in Vengeance, so it's like... Ashton Kutcher. So it's like this punked. And there was a headline that said, BJ Novak and Ashton Kutcher didn't punk anyone on the vengeance. <laughs> I was like, is there some punked fan that is just like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's one of those headlines that's not helping you. Because you I don't think need it is. That. It made me feel so like, again, it felt like some punked fan had been waiting for this. Right. And like, also, you've been like any junket any press interview about any project, TV show, movie you work on, everyone, and it's George Clooney is to blame for this. Everyone's always like, did you guys prank each other on set? <laughs> Pranks are so hard to come yes. up with. Yeah, And it's like, no, I didn't come up with any brilliant pranks on set. Like again, Clooney, I bow down, but like now they all think they're gonna get these amazing stories and they don't. But like if anyone should have had some pranks, it would have been us. I'm yeah. like, we were shooting during COVID. Like, leave us alone. I know, it's hard enough. And then, and also all the pranks that I would think of would, would get someone hurt. Oh. You know, there'd be things like, I switched her lemonade with pure ammonia. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you did what? Hey, you just told us she about a brilliant prank. Burned sure. her throat. <laughs> I know, but I didn't think of it. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. I, my I, my writers thought of that one. I just don't have a prank mindset. I don't either. I don't know how. I, when we were in camp, we tried to like do that kind of stuff, but it was always like saran wrap the toilets that the pee goes back on. That is a good one. <laughs> but you can t- see the saran wrap. And oh, it just, I've never done it. I just oh. always thought. And then there's also put the pepper inside a little bit of napkin in the salt shaker and vice versa. Those are pretty harmless. I'd like to. Not brilliant. I'd like to work in an OR and prank the surgeon uh, like put saran wrap over the open wound so when he goes to section it it gets it hits the saran wrap you just want to kill how, people yeah this is how the cyanide Tylenol thing started it's like you know it'd be hilarious it they, was a they, prank. Think, they think it's gonna solve their headache it does but not in the way they think <laughs> Mr. O'Brien this court would like to know why you thought it was a prank to replace the brake pads on his motorcycle with pieces of brie your honor I have one question did you let <laughs> you got to admit when you found out after he was dead that it was he had brie for brake pads. Did you laugh? I did. We find Conan O'Brien innocent. That should be a thing that if you make the the judge yes. laugh, you're immediately a mistrial is declared and you're set free. Uh. Yeah. 
I love that. We uh, would we would do well with that. Comedians would. Yeah, we would lobby do great. We would just be killing people left and right, and they'd yeah. keep calling us into court. Yeah, and then Mulaney is like a serial killer. <laughs> like it's a way to flex. <laughs> It's like, you know, he killed 14. Mr. Mulaney, he's this is your oh, 15th. he's getting off. This is your 15th appearance before this uh, judge. Would you like to say anything before sentencing? Yes, I would. You ever notice? And then. Yeah, I want to tell you about the salt and pepper diner. It's like, case dismissed. Case dismissed. You're free to murder some more, Mr. Mulaney. Well, I think. Can't wait to see you back here. I don't know. I think you have the cat by the ass, as no one has ever said. That's from your focus group. Yeah. No, I think you're, I mean, you're writing, you're directing, you're acting. Um, the world is your oyster. And uh, What does that mean, though? The world is your oyster is a real one. I know, but what does it mean? I just, uh, does any, guys, what help, does it jump mean? in. You open the oyster and then there's the No, pearl. no, no. He's asking, oh, are you asking what is, what an, what does the, it mean? The world and, is your oyster uh, actually yeah. mean? Yes. That's what does it mean? Why yeah. is it good? The world's your oyster. I think back when people prized oysters. I know the oysters. feeling. The whole world is an, it's a heart, it's, I mean. The world's your oyster. I have another question, my final question yeah. in my interview of you. Um, what is or are gangbusters? Because we're going gangbusters, or you're, they played like gangbusters. But is it like from Do Prohibition we? that like gangbusters would come in and they'd like they'd set it all on fire? Yeah. Like, wow, that was a show. I don't think so. Everybody I died. I first of all, I'm going to go back to my initial compliment. Yeah, uh, you are a very talented fellow. People like and respect you. You're doing great work. Uh, you are a talent. And um, you're finding new ways to express yourself. I can't think of a better compliment for someone. You know what? I think that's true. I'm, I'm being sincere yeah. for a second. I think that's all true. And uh, I know that you were wishing that you could be pigeonholed, but I'm glad that you're not. Well, thank you. I have circled you for years. I love being on your show. And I am happy as a clam. Okay. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> what the, now we're screwed. We're screwed. The world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As happy as a clam. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it? But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. CarShield. Mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of Car Shield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think Car Shield. Car Shield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call Car Shield and choose the mechanic to do the work. Car Shield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got a haul your family around in this yeah. car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need Car Shield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So Car Shield it would definitely come in. Handy. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me, Car Shield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice to protect yourself from the sky high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save twenty percent today. Again that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today.
If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> Anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn <laughs> members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is a special day. Yeah, it we is. We have a surprise Very. for our listeners. My wife, Liza, is here mm -hmm. in studio. A little applause, please. You sound, like little, you sound like little church mice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Liza's here because she's been working on a, a project that I love this project. And people will say, well, you're biased. But I'm be, make it clear, I am not a fan of my wife's. Oh, okay. Yeah. We just, well, we, we are. Do, we do, I know. Yeah. You, everyone else is. Huge, everyone I know. Fans. As Sona loves to say, you're yeah. only, the only, what, your favorite? My favorite thing about you is Liza. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the sentiment that I get from most people is they say, um, you're annoying, but we love your wife. And I'm like, okay. Fills you with rage. Fills me with rage because it's my parents that are saying it. Um, <laughs> but Liza, welcome, first of all, to our little studio. Thanks. Yeah. Nice to be here. It's nice to have you. Not at all weird. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I just love that we're not, we can't shout at each other mm. uh, because, you know, there's there's company here. Give us a minute. Yeah, give us, <laughs> give us eight seconds. Um, Sona, I think we should leave. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, um, Liza, you're here today because you've been working on something that I really love and I'm excited about it and very proud as your goofy partner in life that you have made this really cool podcast that we're going to share with people called Significant Others. That's right. Um, I'm so afraid to make a mistake. Oh, Why? You got this, buddy. What's that? You got this. Yeah. Well, because, you know, she, later on I might hear about it. Uh, <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're both yeah. on absolute yeah, best behavior. Right yeah, I know. Um, this is so fun. Yeah, use your I statements. Always say I feel. That's Don't right. accuse anybody of anything. Right. Hug a pillow if you need to. There's yeah. water and yeah. treats. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that uh, you've made this very cool nonfiction podcast. My favorite podcasts often are that I listen to because I don't listen to this one. <laughs> Not a fan of mine, but I love any podcast where I can learn 
something, uh, whether it's history or literature, and you came up with a very cool idea, which I will throw to you so you can explain what Significant Others is all about. Uh, thank you. I'll see if I can. It's hard to describe it. Basically, is about sort of looking at people who are just outside the spotlight of history, essentially. So I've always been really interested, even before I was married to Conan, about what it was like for people who were married to, you know, the people we read about in history books. So, you know, what was it really like to date and be married to President Lincoln, for example? That's sort of the genesis of it. And as I started collecting more and more of them and asking people, is this anything that anyone else would be interested in besides me? Conan was one of the first people to say, absolutely, I would absolutely listen to that, which was, I, I mean, if you hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have, you know, pursued any of this. So either thank you or it's your fault. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> It's my fault. We'll see. Yeah. You cover all these great people uh, and, and things that I didn't know because I knew about, obviously, I think I knew somewhat about Gandhi. I certainly knew about Lincoln. I thought I knew about Virginia Woolf. And then you find out about these other people in mm -hmm. their lives that were pivotal, not always for good, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. This is not the story every time of someone who is... Um, saving the day in any way, a secret hero. It's both. Mm -hmm. They they help and they don't help and they influence the whole game as everyone does. Mm -hmm. No no one is an island. You've been my first uh, reader of the scripts often and first listener to the scratch tracks and um, you're a very good editor. That's nice. I know. Yeah. I know this is like so, but you guys are like, this is all this so civilized. This is so nice. <laughs> no. I want to know about the bad stuff. Is there <laughs> murder? Oh, in the in the podcast? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant in our lives. Oh, is there murder in your help, life? I don't help out a lot. <laughs> I feel very entitled when it comes to like cleaning up the kitchen. Oh, okay. I've gotten a little better. You're much better. Much better than I used to be. But it is. I used a, to say, well, I'm done, and now let others handle things, was my declaration at the end of every meal. Now the dishes end up near the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> Still not they're, in it. They're Close. moving closer. Still not in it, so but close. near it. They're moving closer. Okay. They're moving so much closer. Mm -hmm. Progress. Mm -hmm. Um... For example, Gandhi mm. is someone who I, I mean, I just I don't even think of Gandhi as being in a relationship because he's been he's he's become such this holy revered figure that he's almost you know um, beyond that godlike. And then you have this great show that you did about. Am I saying it correctly, Kasturba? I believe so. I can't tell how to Americanize it exactly, and I don't mm. want to sound like I'm trying to do a bad accent. So right, I say. Right. Casturba. I may also say some other random pronunciations. Eduardo's smiling because he's the one who's been trying to manage all the different variations that I randomly. So Eduardo, you my... are always in the room when these are being recorded, are you uh, not? Oftentimes, yes. Okay, I'm because present. Liza comes home crying sometimes. <laughs> oh no! And so she's mean. yeah. No, no. She's saying, "Why couldn't I have married that man?" Oh, <laughs> right, right. Wow. Now that's a man. I bet you that's his dishes guy. get all the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The bar is Damn so it. low. It's a pretty low bar. <laughs> so low. So, um, and, and this is the other thing, too, that I really like about it, which is I know some people can feel, well, this might be too highfalutin for me, and it really isn't. It's storytelling. Mm -hmm. It's These are really good stories. And afterwards, I feel like I was told a great story, but I also feel nourished because I learned something. That's good. And to me, that's a great uh, magic trick to be able to pull off. But... Uh, the Tolstoys, Gandhi, uh, you, Mary Lincoln, 
uh, Nabokov's wife Vera, Maya Angelou, and James Baldwin, who I didn't even realize had this incredible connection. connection. Mm -hmm. Molly Day Thatcher and Ilya Kazan, Virginia Woolf, Dr. Spock. I mean, this Yeah, there are surprises in all of them. Uh, My favorite thing, like yours, is that it's um, not all good or all bad, that these are really complicated people and complicated relationships. And in this era of sort of re-examining historical heroes, I sort of love that when the re-examination can be incredibly complex and nuanced mm-hmm. and that it's not just, hey, guess what? This guy was secretly an asshole. Although, yeah. <laughs> guess what? <laughs> a lot of them a lot of them well, were and it wasn't so I'm secret. I'm publicly an asshole. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that's where I've got everyone fooled. Right. Uh, you've got a lot of people yes. uh, voicing things. Uh, Nick Offerman is Leo Tolstoy, mm-hmm. Megan Mullally, <laughs> Sophia Tolstoy, Tim Oliphant. Uh, Rita Wilson, Jamila Jamil, Darcy Carden, Lisa Kudrow, Paul F. Tompkins. I mean, it's... Uh, We're very lucky. Yeah. I called in every possible chit that I could. I don't think anyone's ever going to take our call again. So, <laughs> again, in- you're including, welcome. Including Gorley. In- yeah, well, yes, including Matt Gorley. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's Gorley, right. What, what part did you play? I play a reporter in the Lincoln episode. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? When yes. you're describing in great detail Mary Lincoln's, uh, the shape of her head. Yeah, oh. it's a really... It's really, weird, really right? misogynistic sort of slam of Mary Lincoln. And yep. Yeah, it's crazy. And we naturally thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> you were perfect. I get I that love that they brought you in. Liza brought you in to be the creep. Yeah. The Lincoln episode. Yeah. What was, uh, was there one thing that you learned that just really shocked you? There are a lot of really fascinating moments. I, I don't really want to spoil anything. Yep, yep. Um, but, and, and one of the... And you didn't know Lincoln was shot. It's true. <laughs> Guys, I really learned a lot. Did you know? No, he went to a theater? It's so crazy. Hey, spoiler, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't want to, I, I mean, nothing, everything was, yeah. you know, surprising at a certain point. Yep. I think the Dr. Spock episode might be the most surprising to me. A lot of your fans might not even know who he was I'm because he's so, so young. I'm so excited about that because I was raised on that book. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a real generational divide. Like, I bet you could, you right. know, find the exact number above and under yeah. where people do or don't know about him but yeah. um it was a big oh tr- dr spock was the uh child, child care guru care guru yeah not the vulcan oh yeah. you not know what we spock. have his book yeah and it was i think in the he was 50s beloved. 60s it was, the book 70s. came out in 1946 yeah. same year my mother was born wow and it revolutionized there's a great quote by a guy who wrote a, a profile in Esquire in like 86 when Spock died in 98. So it was like toward the end of his life, but not all the way at the end. And he was like, this had such a profound influence in such a quiet way because it was these articles that he was writing in right. women's magazines that were lying around, you know, hair salons. Mm-hmm. And n- nothing else has affected so quickly and so vastly how the world regards babies and handles them and raises kids and you know so there's all this stuff about like he created the hippies he was the responsible for the me generation there's been a lot of backlash the feminists hated him for a while and then he changed some stuff and got back in their good graces and meanwhile you know his own family was kind of a disaster yeah whenever someone writes uh, Mm -hmm. here's how to parent a child you're asking for trouble yeah within 10 minutes uh, they start um, 
And he Those actually kids start killing people. And he wasn't <laughs> like a, he wasn't a big um, like he didn't have the kind of ego that a lot of experts have. He was very ready to revise what he had written and to collaborate and. He didn't want to own it and be right all the time. But then there's this just point where he couldn't take his own advice. Anyway, it's it. that one to me is really fascinating. Who's playing Dr. Spock? Uncast oh as of now. So, yeah, just to be intentionally confusing. Can't uh, Leonard anymore. <laughs> well, he's passed on. <laughs> Who's the actor who? Oh, Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just funny God. to me if we got Zachary Quinto. <laughs> Who plays Spock now? That's a great idea. And got and him to the, play Doctor Spock, but but then do a, a lot of disclaimers up front. Zachary Quinto will be playing Doctor Spock. It's not that dark. <laughs> we know he plays him. Just un, I love unnecessarily confusion. I'm going to ruin your podcast. No, and so his his son, one of his sons, said that when Doctor Spock from Star Trek became a thing, he was so relieved because suddenly there was another. When people would see his last name and they would say, "Are you related to Doctor Spock?" That you know, and he would. He just Oh, I don't want to, because he's then the living test of his dad's, you know, work. Oh, wow. And so when oh. they would say, "Are you related to yeah. the that's Vulcan?" I, he'd be like, "Yes, exactly. That's who I'm related to." So that's, that's why I root for Conan Gray. You know, the pop star. Yeah. I just want him as be, do our children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm tired of being yeah. that Conan. Yeah. Oh, you know. you're okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Significant Others is available right now. Yeah. It's uh, it's already out. A new episode of Significant Others drops every Wednesday with bonus episodes the following day. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I really do love it. And uh, if I didn't, I'd be very good at avoiding the topic. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, but I really am a huge fan. You'd be a lot nicer to me right now is what would be happening. Yeah, if you exactly. hated it, you would oh, be praising it up the wazoo, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. you do. So uh, every time he's nice to you, uh-uh, be it's careful. trouble. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> then good. Oh, then you're good. Exactly. You're okay. Significant others. Oh, are you going to write a little theme song for me? Yeah, I should. Significant others get along, but sometimes (laughs) they don't. That's an awful song. That's so bad. Yeah. Mm, That was really bad. You can't Uh, even fix it. Yeah. (laughs) No, nothing you can do with that. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.
with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.